Hello. Um, I'm here today with a lovely chap called Ian Shea. And Ian helps organizations with their well-being strategies. And Ian and I met over a, a T-shirt. And I'll let Ian explain that a bit later if you'd like to. But um, hi, Ian. It's lovely to be with you. And how do you feel today? Gareth, absolute pleasure to be with you. It's always uh, you always bring a smile on my face when we see each other, uh, when I receive a text. So I'm doing I'm doing well. How do I, I feel today? I feel um, I feel I feel good. A little tired, and I, I attribute that to I think I had a little bit too much mint ice cream last night before I went to bed, <laughs> and that may that may have not um, made for a good night's sleep. But other other than that, it's it's fall out here in San Francisco. It's our Indian summer. Um, it's gorgeous weather right now and had a, a few good calls already this morning. So I'm feeling pretty good. You were explaining to me earlier about, um, how the Indian summer works and that this your favorite time of year, but I mean, do you get out much? What, what, what in particular do you do in the Indian summer? I like to open water swim. So in the, and the, the Bay area is a little chilly in terms of the water temperature. So I don't swim with a wetsuit. So this is the time of the year where the sun is obviously it's just beautiful. The sunsets are gorgeous. So I like to go out and swim uh, and we don't swim with wetsuits. So it's nice when there's no wind and the air temperature is quite warm uh, because the water temperature is cold. It's, it's probably a little cooler than it is in Wales. And I've, you know, I followed a little bit of your swim sessions you know, with David and others, and we do the exact same thing here and we, we love it. So um, I like I like to swim and mountain bike and just get outside. It's the best. I think I love it. And um, do you do it as a big group? Do you ever go on your own? You know, what sort of look like? We used to go, we used to do it with a group, but then people kind of kind of went their own way. So there's a, there's a swimming club down, um, down in what's known as aquatic park in the Bay area. And so you're always going to meet people there that are swimming, but the more important part is like, once you get out, it's, you're so cold, you're freezing that everyone goes to this kind of old sauna and just talks about your swim and just talks about kind of the day. And, you know, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's inspiring. So there's, it's always the procrastination on the way to the water. That's why Indian summer is pretty, pretty helpful because if the wind's howling or if the weather's nasty and you're on your way to a swim, your mind will tell you a thousand different things as to make a right there, go for dinner there, see, go for a pub to see that person, anything but swimming. So it, this time of the year, it's a lot easier. And, and the community is great. It's um, so there's always someone to swim with, but we don't necessarily do it with a group other than the weekends. Weekends is there's organized swims are a little bit longer, more distance. Um, and then there's like a picnic or something after. Do you find it um, helpful in terms of, you mentioned procrastination and, you know, I've done it only for a few years, but that thing of never wanting to actually go under and then eventually it becomes easy to go under. And then I find that helps with just jumping in with other things in life. Do you find that as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, well for me, cause I'm about 20 minutes from the beach. So there's your, like, I have to start thinking about it a little ahead of time before I'm going. And there I've been doing this for years now and there's never a moment where I'm not procrastinating or coming up with something else to do. So it's a fight. Every swim is a fight. And then I get in and the water's cold. So it's that first, you know, call it five minutes of swimming where the body is just screaming at you. And then you start to acclimate and then you start to get in it. And then towards the latter half is like, that's when I start to get the benefits. So that beginning piece, that's all procrastination. The first five minutes is, is kind of screaming at you. 
when you're starting to end, it's like that euphoria comes up and that lightness comes up. And it's, you know, I think in recent years, there's been so much publicized around the benefits of cold water swimming. Um, and there truly are your whole mental disposition, at least for me shifts where I could be in a funk going down for a swim, or I could be, my mind could be like caught up on something that it's nonsensical, doesn't need to be caught up on it, but it is. And then you come out, it that's all gone. All of that's gone. It's a bit of a cliche, but I called it cold water medicine. Yeah, it's cold water medicine. And um, it's, you come out and your body is completely refreshed. We're talking waters between 50 and 60 degrees, our, our temperature, which I think would be 10 times two, probably 10-ish five to 10 ish year, um, kind of, that's a lot colder than it is here at the moment. Yeah. And you can only say so long, right. It's, um, but then the community for me, the community is of most interest because you have people of all shapes and sizes, all walks of life doing this, all varying abilities, if you will, you know, from a, from a swimming perspective, but their spirit is all the same in terms of, why they're drawn to it, why they're doing it. You know, there's some people out here who do it every single day, which I think is amazing. The funny thing here, so we were doing it every day for probably a couple of years and then less, not quite so often after. But um, we didn't see any men doing it. We were the only two blokes and uh, there were lots and lots of ladies. Now, I don't know if that's because of where we live or not, but it was definitely what we would see. That's interesting. I would say it's probably a community here that's more developed. So there are like, if you're going to this particular spot, you're going there to swim. And the way it gets bifurcated is those who swim with a wetsuit or those who swim without. I'd say there's equal amount of male, female. And if anything, it skews older. So in other words, the swimmers, I'm just ballparking this probably on average over 50, most people. Um, then the younger generation don't see a lot of younger swimmers out there, which is, it's just interesting. It's just of note. I mean, the amount of swimmers that I swim with who are over 70 is, is refreshing. Very refreshing. Yeah. That's cool. Now I've never asked you this before, Ian, but in terms of what you do, how did you get to that point of doing what you do? Was it from some personal experience or somebody around you or? Yeah, I mean, route. how I how I think I've I've got into a curiosity around emotions is the best way to put it. As far as far as I can remember, growing up, I always had a curiosity around emotions and people. It's I love people and I kind of love emotions as, as well. And I'm in tune with the different emotions others experience and myself as well. And I'm the eldest of five, and what that means is I had a lot of uh, time with my grandma. My grandma and I had a very special relationship. She was a wonderful person. Um, and I'll never forget this, that at you know age 12, my grandfather passed away. And that was the first time I kind of was introduced to the word depression. Because I remember my mom and dad were out on the porch talking to my grandma. And they mentioned to my grandma that Alice was her name. You have depression. And I, I knew the word, but I never fully appreciated the word. And as it turns out, grandpa was a huge support in her life relative to her emotional well-being. And without him there, that support was no longer. But the reason that resonated with me was here was a person that was re- I was really close with and they changed. So I got a, an appreciation for the impact that mental health can have on one. And also I got an appreciation for 
you know, we all get different cards in life and the cards that I were dealt with or blessed with did not have that particular card in it. Right. I didn't, that's not an area that I struggled in. And um, so I just got more empathetic for it. Then as I got, grew up and went into my professional career, that curiosity was always there, if you will. But I also had a curiosity on building my own businesses, my own entities. And I did that successfully when I was little, we're not talking major companies, but I just enjoyed building, building businesses. So I started my career off in investment banking, ultimately with the goal of trying to get as smart as I could to build a company down the road. And I wanted to understand equity and debt. And in that particular and how companies were, you know, uh, analyzed and how people looked at companies. And in that industry, the emotional piece was void. So there wasn't a lot of appreciation and or space for emotions, which was, it was just an observation. I then moved to another industry after banking into running companies. So I went from New York to California and out in California, running companies in an area that you would think would be more progressive around this. There was also a void of emotions. And so how I got to I Am Human was I just had a little bit of a, a sense or thoughts were going around in my mind saying, okay, how what could it look like if there was more of a space for these uh, emotions sharing in organizations. And I didn't really have a crisp business idea. I started a business prior to I am human that failed horrifically. And it was, it was a traumatic experience. My founder and the investors kind of took, took everything, um, and, and left me And to say that was traumatic would almost be kind of a disservice to it. But where it helped me was that I had to get clean and, and clear on how I was going to support myself emotionally. Clearly my family was there and my friends were there, but day to day I had to develop uh, uh, tools and, and processes and comfort around taking care of myself. And up until that point in time, I was pretty comfortable taking care of myself physically, pretty comfortable taking my, care of myself nutritionally as best I could. But this whole emotional piece, you know, notwithstanding my curiosity since a little kid, I, I wouldn't say I had a practice. And I needed this practice. So as I developed my own practice, I got more comfortable with the language that I would use because I had a, a lot of hangups as to like, how would I talk about this with friends or how would I share this with friends or family? And like, how am I supporting myself in this way? Versus I could share, I'm going for, on a mountain bike ride or I'm going for a run or I tried out this new exercise like Peloton. I was not, didn't have that comfort around emotional well-being. And that process, which took years, I started to get more confident, start to, I started to really appreciate that this is something that's important to me, something that I'm good at, and it's something that I can relate to. And I built I Am Human uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's misspelled a little bit. If you, It's I am human. And it's really to serve as a daily reminder to myself that I need physical care, I need nutritional care, and I need mental, emotional, spiritual care. And they're all of equal importance, right? And they all need equal time. And relative to the business, I built a product around this space and started knocking on doors for companies. And companies said, we really like the product. But more importantly, like you have business background, you have a real appreciation, your energy around this can gives us a lot of comfort and trust. Would you guide us on how best to think about well-being within our organizations? So it was a it became serendipitously a, a perfect marriage of of my love of business and kind of building companies and building initiatives with my love of emotions and people. And I'm really sensitive and also uh, appreciative of the impact you can have on 
uh, giving people emotional comfort or giving people emotional support. And if you could take that on a broader scale to organizations, the impact and we've experienced it can be can be amazing. Can be amazing. So I guess when you go in, you kind of normalize those things. Is that is that what happens? Yeah, we we, we the words we use is we we create curiosity around it. So yeah. and we create interest and build trust in the process. So what I mean by that is a lot of people like if I take myself, there there was a point in time where I'm sitting in a chair right now, and if if you if you see me leaning back, that's kind of an indication of a little bit of skepticism around emotional well-being, or maybe just a little bit of uh, unknowns around it. And so what we like to do is get people moving forward in their chair, maybe even just to sitting straight up, where that is curiosity. Like Gareth is saying, oh, tell me a little bit more about this. Now, like I never really appreciated how I could incorporate this or why I would incorporate this into my life. So our goal is to really create curiosity because once we get people curious, then they can start creating their own paths or they'll start um, leaning in. And the other piece with respect to business is like leaders need trust in the process. They need a sense of rigor. They need a sense of um, uh, analytical crispness, if you will, or metrics that make them feel comfortable that the resources they're dedicating to this are worthwhile. And why would they or even know you exist? How do they approach you in the first place? Well, that's a great question. So we started this market, it was brand new, right? There was, this didn't exist. And there were, when we were starting this off, I still tell people the story where I, sh I would shake my computer because it was absolute crickets. You know, I was calling Google, are you sure everything is working okay? Um, now to the point where we've had a lot of success with with clients. Some clients have won the number one well-being program in their respective industries, which have made them sought after organizations to work for. So people would find us, A, by our website, or B, we do a lot of writing on this. A lot of our clients uh, made recommendation to other clients to utilize us kind of on their well-being journeys. We do a lot of speaking at organizations like the American Psychiatric Association, National Alliance of Mental Illness, other nonprofits that are uh, focusing on this. And um, we're just in the infancy, I think. If you just think of society in general, you think of companies in general, for those who are listening, that I bet people are in their infancy of appreciating how to incorporate this into their organizations. And we we help with that. You mentioned your um, your own personal experience. And you, you know, you've heard me talk about myself. And pretty much everything I've learned is a, as a consequence of wanting to look after myself, really. And then thinking, oh, some of this stuff is universal almost. Um, did your own, you know, the experience you mentioned earlier, did that inform your practice and how that feeds into what you do? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. So I would say my own personal experience and practice preceded the business, if you will. So there was that moment in time that I shared where, you know, business A failed horrifically, but there was a gap before I am human actually became a thing. And in that gap was Ian exploring what were what was I comfortable with in terms of taking care of myself or how, what made sense to me in a given day and what did I need? And then what came from that was language. So in other words, uh, I could use like, like du jour words 
right? Maybe, and I'm just making this up, maybe it's meditation or wellness or well-being, but maybe those aren't Ian's words. So as Ian got more comfortable, I would use words that felt right and not be insecure about mm -hmm. using those words, if you if you know what I mean. So there's a, there was a confidence building in that process. And ultimately that grounded the product that I bring to organizations because I had to go through my own journey. That journey included getting comfortable, feeling that feeling through what the right mix was for me and that mix changed day over day over day and companies go through the exact same journey which is what is comfortable for them with respect to well-being strategy what's the language they would use right you're going to use different language in like the police enforcement world than maybe the law world or the investment world or school worlds so uh i you know kicked and screamed when i was going through my own journey and then how I was sharing it with people, I remember I would be shaking like a leaf when people say, what are you doing? And I didn't really know what I was doing other than I had a sense that there's something here. And those are scary moments. Um, we got through it. There's a lot of support that was given to me through that. And or, so I can empathize with the journey organizations are about to go on because I had to do it. But for for real, like my kind of my survival was on on the line with it. It wasn't it wasn't life or death, but relative to you know how I was going to carry on with my life. No, um, makes complete sense, yeah, and I, I get it entirely what you're saying. And I think so many things in this world are from the outside in, but what you've just described is from the inside out, which I always feel is. Um, and that was hard for me because I had come from a world that was more outside in, meaning. You know, you come from investment banking or you come from running companies. There, there's very tangible words that are used. There's tangible paths. There's ways you present. There's way there's uh, language you use to talk about success. Mm. So I had almost like unwind all that because that's was my comfort zone. That that's where I had a lot of success in this kind of unknown, this new newer area um, was a scary one because I had to create new new metrics or, or new new forms of communicating. And there was a gap before it took off in society. So there was a multi-year gap where I couldn't point to anything saying, hey, look what I'm doing. The New York Times just talked about this. Or look what I'm doing. Times just had its cover, you know, annual issue with a cover on it. Like there was none of that. And then, and the beauty of that was it forced me to use my own words versus words that were du jour or words that were in vogue, which wouldn't have been as resonant. And that goes back to your inside out, but you have to, at least me, I had to be forced into an inside out process because otherwise I would have done an outside in, in more of an intellectual process, which I don't think my the quality of my product would be the same. No, definitely. And I think you have to have gone through something for it to naturally become that thing, which is an extension of yourself, what you've learned, and how you think, I mean, that's half the reason you go on this mission of trying to help other people in the first place, isn't it? You don't want them to end up uh, feeling how you felt. I don't mean you personally, you, you but feel connected to it. You, you feel, yeah. feel connected to it and you also appreciate the benefits. Even if yeah. you can just help a yeah. person turn their dials, think yeah. of like a music dial ever so slightly without having to go the whole way, yeah. there's benefit in that. And we've had, you know, we've had. I was sharing this recently. We've had, you know, the benefits are obviously financial, but we've had employees come up to us and say, thank you, you know, for the work that you and the organization are doing. That allowed me to have a conversation with my spouse and my children at the dinner table that we needed to have, but I didn't have the confidence. 
And because of the tools you gave us, we were able to do that. And we're in a much better spot. And we thank the organization for this, right? Or, or people who are caretakers. A, a woman came up to us and said, I didn't realize that the company would have supported me in taking care of my mom to the extent it did. You know, we paved that path, right? So the benefits are, 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 are amazing. They're, they're equal to the physical benefits or the nutritional benefits, but I, I would argue maybe perhaps even more so. And I think the healthier we all are, then the better the contribution we make to everyone around us, isn't it? It's as simple a as that. Absolutely. Because the healthier you are, things just like you may give someone the benefit of the doubt. You may give a little bit more space, you know, for someone. You may listen better, right? These are just those those daily interactions that you have with someone um, because you're in a more solid place, right? Mm -hmm. You're in a more full place and you're just kind of warmer maybe or richer with, with your interactions. Yeah. And everything you mentioned about finding the language and, you know, I can remember it was only a couple of years ago I started talking about this stuff after, I don't know, 30 years or something like that. And it sounds absurd, but had to reach such a crunch point to want to be able to even mention it. And the motivation is to, like we're talking about, to help other people. And that's what these little chats are about, really. Um, I'm not saying, you know, they're not groundbreaking or anything like that, but often when you hear someone else opening up and talking about something, it makes it more easy to do the same yourself. And also I think it helps you feel less alone. So when you're well, going to talk about That's it. It's, it's, um, it's not, you use a, a key word there. It's not groundbreaking and this stuff is not groundbreaking. Um, and, and there's a, there's a quote that I love from Charlie Brown and Snoopy, right? Sometimes <laughs> we don't need someone, you know, there to fix something. We just need someone to be there and listen, right. Yeah. And let us know they're there. And yeah. within organizations, what we're trying to do, and even myself. So, you know, when I was going through those, those tougher periods of time, and even now I don't always need someone to fix something like, I just need someone to be there and to listen. And then I can kind of find my own path to what I need. And maybe there was just a release that I needed or just to share. Maybe it's like you just said, not feeling alone. Cause you can, you can make up stories in your head saying um, that can carry, you're carrying shame. I shouldn't be feeling this, or there's something wrong with me, or I'm deficient in some way, or I'm lacking in some way. And then when you realize, whoa, there's a room with other people going through this, I'm not the only one. All that can be released, which just is uplifting. You know, we do that within organizations, which is just create that space where we could build an emotional map within an organization. So imagine, imagine a leader, CEO, has got a map in front of him or her. You know, each day that says, "This is what this is what our people are feeling in your organization." You've got caretakers. You have people who are struggling. You know, raising their children. You may have financial. You may have whatever the life moments that people are going through. And the more you could create that relatability, it really helps with um, inclusion and loneliness. And I'm talking about emotional inclusion. It's a big piece. And loneliness is huge. I think, yeah, absolutely. It just engenders more compassion when you realize we're all the same. <laughs> and we're, we're all going through stuff. Right. And the benefit of a chat like this is just it's a warm way to communicate. It's a warm way to just share. Uh, and I think there are not a lot of opportunities that people have in their day-to-day -day lives for this, especially not in companies, right? So the more you can um, create an appreciation around that, the benefits are untold. They really are. Well, that's why I asked you about the word normalize earlier, because I remember when I wasn't, well, when I was particularly bad, 
I wouldn't even want to talk about it. Certainly wouldn't have gone to see a doctor, you know, anything like that. Yet, and that's that's as a self-employed person. If I was in a company, I might have even felt that more acutely, unless they had something in place which made it feel like it was acceptable. Right. Acceptable for you to come into work as you yeah. were. And, and to talk given, about it. At yeah. that given time. And so creating that comfort is a is a journey, so to say, to get to that's culture change. You're really you're expanding the culture. Um, in a more comprehensive way to support people around this. And, you know, similarly to you, when I went through kind of that business, a not working, I had a lot of shame around that. Like was well, a business leader, like that shouldn't have happened and what's wrong with me. And if I share this with others, they're going to think really poorly about me, which is completely false, but that's <laughs> what your mind says. And it's yeah. the exact same thing within a company, right? So in other words, but, but, but there's still reticence or fear around that. So in other words, people coming in who maybe didn't get a good night's sleep the, the night before, or maybe are not in the best of spots with their marriage, or maybe they feel stuck in their lives, not professionally, but just personally, whatever that may be, that is in, that's impinging on their kind of performance, if you will. So to the extent companies can create spaces for that. It's called psychological safety, how they can bring in psychological safety. Um, and and it, that doesn't mean people have to share. So a lot of times we'll create spaces where uh, people want to share, they share, but it's equally as rewarding for those who didn't share just to listen and just to mm -hmm. hear because the, the environment's becoming more human. Do you find there are particular sectors which are more open to this and you know, I've talked to quite a few companies in the past and things, but there was you, you could sense that some people truly wanted to embrace it and other people felt they ought to embrace it. So you must see the entire spectrum of that. Yeah, we see this entire spectrum and um, industries that I would not have anticipated accepting it as a legal industry. We've had a lot of success in the legal industry um, where we have won our clients, the number one well-being program in that industry. And it didn't start off that way, if you will. And that really was as a result of the champion in that organization. So the legal industry has really adopted this. Uh, the We do some work with the NYPD, which is the New York Police Department. They have really adopted this. Another organization I probably wouldn't have put high on my list, if you will. And I think the common denominator is less the industry and it's more the individual. So you kind of said it, there are people who uh, really embrace it. And if that's a CEO, they will make it one of their top three or four priorities. And what that means is it gets budget. And what that means is people see the CEO, he or she is making a priority. That means that there'll be opportunities for growth and promotion for whomever runs that. It becomes a sought after department versus organizations. And I, I think by and large, most organizations get it, but getting it and making it a strategy are, are kind of two different things. And so for us, it's really discerning who's serious about this and who has the power to make things happen. Um, and then you become, then industries start to change. So in the legal industry, not only were we able to have success with clients, we brought the entire industry together which are schools, which are law firms, which are clients, which are court systems to gather and have an open and honest discussion around how could we as an industry make this 
more make our people more supported in mental, emotional, and spiritual being. And the beauty in that situation and all is like, there's no real answer, but when you start the process, the answers come and kind of just taking it back to, to or an organizational level as organizations start the journey, it's like a, it's a, it's a discovery process, if you will, as to what's needed, um, what your people need and what your ability to provide those, meet those needs are. So it's having a little faith in that process, which kind of goes back to, you know, what I had to go through relative to me taking care of myself each day was a new day with new needs and just taking a, a step towards, you know, take, taking care of myself. That's great, Ian. And I, I look forward to the day when it's so normal to just be a little kid in school learning how to look after yourself, you know, and then as that filters through to society, we brilliant. Well, you're starting to see that just from an industry perspective, at least in the United States, you're starting to see colleges or universities, the, the way our university system is structured your first year, you're kind of told what to take, whether it's mathematics or, or bio or psychology or sociology. There are There's a movement to have a course on, for lack of a better term, taking care of yourself, right? Or emotional mm-hmm. well-being. And you're starting to see that also kind of infiltrate into the to primary schools. So I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I have friend, you know, friends who are are leading that charge right at the middle school level and at the um, and at the grammar school level, which would be it's coming. That's for sure. It's coming to to the point where I mean, you think of like seatbelts, the analogy, there was a point in time where, you know, we just didn't wear seatbelts. And yeah. that was okay. And now that's changed. There will be a point in time where I think our generation will look back and say, wow, how did, how do we miss that? So to say. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Well, we're coming to the end of our chat, even though it's gone super quick. Oh, it's um, been wonderful. I always love um, talking with you. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with before we uh, hang up? What I'd like to leave us with two things. One, if if you're listening to this and you have a curiosity around emotional well-being and organizational um, well-being strategies, feel free to reach out, Ian, um, and I'm at IamHuman.com. But what I wanted to end with was how we met, which is I I heard Gareth's talk at the Do Lectures about a year or two ago, and I, I was just blown away with it. But what I was most blown away was he ha- had developed a shirt, and the shirt was a reflection of uh, him tracking his mood on a day day in and day out basis. And it was reflected in colors. And I just thought it was such a simple way and a human way um, to to show emotions or to show how one was feeling in uh, in a way that was kind of cool, if you will. Very innovative, very clever. And that's what prompted me to kind of give you a hug after you know, after your talk, because it was it was really motivating and expanding and nourishing for me. Oh, that's lovely, Ian. Thank you. And I'm glad we uh, have become pals. It's great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Your source source of nourishment in my life. Oh, that's lovely. And I didn't realize, I know we didn't manage the dip when we were together, but I didn't realize you were so um, consistent with it. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I've got a good crew out here and it's San Francisco. I'm lucky because we're able, we're able, there's, there's infrastructure for that to occur you know, easily, yeah. meaning there's the beach and there's a, there's the swim club and there's a crew, crew out of here doing it. Um, but we also go up to Maine, go up to Maine every summer, uh, with, and I do my swims there. So what's special is I like to do a swim, you know, in the summertime in the, in the West coast, then I go to Maine pre the dew, 
and swim in Maine, which is fairly cold. And it's just across from Wales, effectively not right across, but close. And there's something energizing or energetic about then swimming in the Atlantic on the other side and looking back, you know, it's kind of cool. <laughs> so next time then. Yes, please. I'll be there next yeah. summer. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Well, that's great. Thanks for doing this, Ian, and I'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. Love you, Gareth. Cheers, bye.